Father in heaven, it's um, amazing to us, for lack of a better term, though I'm sure there is a better term, that we sit with the word of God right before our eyes. Enable us to embrace this word, to believe it. Help us to understand it. May we see the fruits of our meditations that we would be transformed, that we would live in such a way that would bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to 2 Timothy and chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to read verses 9 uh, through 22. So we'll read through the end of the chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. Remember, this is a letter written from Paul to Timothy. And hear the word of God. Do your best to come to me soon for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in, for ministry. Tychicus I, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that... Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who is ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus um, sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you. I'm sorry, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, I must confess. Actually, I probably don't have to, but I will. I'll feel better. Uh, that I, I generally don't preach the end of these letters like this because they're, they're kind of sort of, it's a farewell, saying goodbye, hello, all these kinds of things to people. And it's really tough to find a sermon in the midst of all that. It's sort of like when you read through the Old Testament and get to the parts of, of all the genealogies and what we call, used to call when we read the King James Version of the Bible, the begats. Uh, it's really hard to kind of grab a sermon out of so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it's a little hard to grab a sermon out of say hi to so-and-so for me and all of that. So, in fact, I looked back at all my notes and realized I had never in all my days of going through Second Timothy with people uh, never really dealt with this passage. So it kind of mm, convicted me. And I said, what's here? Why am I skipping this? What can we look at here? Well, you know, these are letters. And, 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 and thus they're written as such. It begins with a hello and ends with a goodbye. This goodbye in some sense kind of grips us. Because when you think about it, it's the last goodbye. From Paul. 
That doesn't make it more significant than all these other goodbyes. That's not why I'm taking it up. But, but that's sort of in the back of, in the back of my mind here. And, and, but, but, but what this does tell us, just by way of introduction, what this does tell us is, is that these are real, authentic letters. This is a real person, Paul, writing to a real person, Timothy. They have real mutual friends. This is a real situation. Something is happening. People will read this and, and, and they'll read it and they'll go, I know, I know Demas. You see, I know Onesiphorus. I mean, if you're going to know his name, you better know him. If you're going to work at it that much. You know, I know him. You know, I know Aquila, which is uh, and, and Priscilla Priscus being short. For that. I know them. I've heard of them. I, I know Titus. I know, I know these situations. Real letters. And, and we get the sense, too, that God works with us, not in the abstract, but he reveals himself through, through the daily normal course of activity this is a real church in ephesus with a real pastor and a real apostle writing and all of that so this is real stuff and so when we get this we should expect this sort of thing it it should it should help us we should say yes of course this is how a letter should end this is how this should be and so it is and so here we have it and so paul begins to to lay out some things and he and he says to timothy come and see me you remember paul was in prison uh, in rome and this imprisonment was different than many of his other his other imprisonments. He wasn't under house arrest. He was arrested as a criminal. So there he was chained in a dungeon, if you will, in that kind of a setting. So it was a horrible setting. So he says to, to Timothy, come and, 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 and visit me. Timothy, he loved. So you knew it would be an encouragement for Timothy to come. But he has some very practical things as well that he, he wanted uh, uh, from uh, uh, Timothy. Uh, he, he says, you know, I want you to bring, um, bring my cloak uh, before winter, he had left it in Troas at Carpus' house. One theory is that perhaps Paul was arrested in Troas and very quickly then was whisked away. So he left his cloak there. He wouldn't have otherwise left his cloak there. And he left his parchments and books there and all of that stuff. He didn't, wasn't able to bring them with him. So he says, listen, uh, come and, and go through Troas. Come visit me. Come through Troas. Go to Carpus' house and bring me all this stuff. The, the cloak, obviously very practical to keep me warm in the winter. And, and the books and the parchments, maybe copies of letters, maybe some official papers, maybe some, some things he even thought, maybe I could uh, write a bit before they kill me. And, 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 and copies of what may, what may well have been the, what we call the Septuagint, the Old Testament in Greek that he quoted from very often just to restore his soul and help him in all of this. He says, bring me that in the midst of this. I need I need all of that. And so he brings these, these messages to Timothy. But he says, in your travels, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He, he did me great harm. He opposed our message. Meaning not only my message, Timothy. So, so if he opposed that with me, he's going to oppose it with you. So be, beware. If he's still in Troas or if he's in Rome or if he's in Ephesus, wherever he is, if you ever encounter him, beware of him because, because he's really against us. He really hates us. He's really against this message. So beware of him. Very practical advice to Timothy. There, but, but he doesn't stop there. And he says, now I want you to come to me because Demas has deserted me. Think about it. Now Demas was one who... Paul had referred to in other letters as a fellow worker. In fact, in Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, Demas was with him. And he mentioned him to the church in Colossae. He mentioned him to Philemon when he wrote that letter. He says, Demas, my fellow worker. And now, you see, when Paul needed him perhaps the most, 
He deserted him. The, the imprisonment in Rome was very different. The first one was very different than this one. As I mentioned in the first one, he was under house arrest. People could come and go and see Paul. This one, very dangerous. Malapal was sentenced to death. His departure, as he said, was very quick. So, so Demas, it appears, in love with the world, as Paul puts it, for whatever reason, wasn't able to handle that. And he deserted Paul. And this little expression, desert, means he left me in a lurch. He left me at the worst time. He could possibly leave me when I needed him most. Here I am alone. And you get the sense how significant Demas must have been because he writes to Timothy and he says, only you can take his place. Only you can come and, and, and fill up this void that's left because Demas has left me. You can only imagine the sadness of Paul. He was at this man, Demas, who... He had poured his life into. They had shared so much. And again, when Paul needed him the most, he, he left him. Think about that. I don't know if you've had those kinds of experiences, perhaps, but you can feel it, can't you? You know what Paul must have been going through with this dire need. Demas leaves him, writes to Timothy, says, you come. He says, of course, uh, uh, Cres- Crescens can't come. Yeah, he's in Galatia. Now, we don't know anything about this uh, Crescens sins person or Kreskins, it could be pronounced person. We don't know anything about him, which I really love. And I love it because we need to realize there are all kinds of significant people in the church world that are unknown. All kinds of people in those days, just unknown. Paul knew him, these people knew him, but, but to us, he, he never made a headline before. He never, nothing really about him, but, but he's in Galatia, so he can't come to me. If he wasn't there, perhaps I could bring him, but he's needed there. Uh, Titus is in Dalmatia. He can't come. Luke is with me, and that's not a complaint. Luke alone is with me. <laughs> Paul loved Luke. He referred to him as the beloved physician. He was a doctor. What a great man for Paul to have alone since he was uh, along since he was always getting beat up, right? Practical. He was a physician. What a great guy to have along. And Luke was a companion of many, and we see that as Luke writes in the book of Acts, even about all of that. Luke is with me. What a great companion. What a great man. He must have been. And then he says, I want you to get Mark. Now, that's a great story. Mark, you see, was the cousin of Barnabas, a friend of Paul's. In fact, when Paul went on his first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul were together, and they took Mark with them. But about midway through, Mark went back to Jerusalem. Mark left them. And so when Paul and Barnabas were setting out on their second missionary journey, they had this discussion about whether to bring Mark or not. Paul says, don't bring him. He left us. And and Barnabas says, oh, yes, let's bring him. And there was a split between these two great men of God. And, and, And Paul took Silas, Barnabas took Mark. And now, you see, all is well. He says, Mark will be helpful to me. Bring him, bring him with you. Tychicus, he sends to Ephesus where Timothy is, no doubt to deliver the letter. And Tychicus perhaps was going to be the interim pastor in Ephesus while, 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 Paul, uh, while Timothy left there and came to visit, to visit, uh, to visit Paul. As I mentioned, this Alexander the coppersmith, we don't know really anything about him. There are other Alexanders mentioned in, in First and Second Timothy, but, but, but since he distinguishes him as the coppersmith, you get the sense that he's not that other Alexander who is the, who is the heretic, if you will, but, but this one who's against us. So for whatever reason, we see uh, the enemy that Paul has. And then he gives some other basic kinds of highs and buys, you know, greet Priscus and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus and uh, Erastus, he's at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. How would you like to claim to fame to know you're the only guy Paul never healed? 
uh, says something to the health and wealth gospel. And then these others who send, who send their greetings. But in the midst of all of this, Paul lays this out. He says, thinking about Alexander the coppersmith who did me such great harm, do you understand that at my first defense, everyone deserted me? Think about that. He said, at my first defense, everyone deserted me. In other words, he said, I was arrested, I was brought, my first hearing, uh, probably a public hearing, uh, the public may have been invited, all these people there. He says, at my first hearing, and then you would assume there was another hearing after that even, but at these hearings, he said, my first hearing, everyone deserted me. It's the same word that he used as of, 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 of Demas, that I was left in a lurch when I needed them the most. Nobody showed up. I faced my accusers alone. There wasn't a friendly, encouraging face in the crowd at all. Imagine that. How would he survive such a situation like that? You know, it's been the history of the people of God, especially leaders, but in the people of God. Uh, David, of course, knew that, that, very, that very feeling of being deserted by the ones whom he had cared for. In Psalm 35, he writes of the betrayal of some. He says, malicious, verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. And then notice how he describes his relationship with them. He says, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bound on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I I loved them. I cared for them. I I wept for them when they were in difficulty. I, I prayed for them. I did all I could for them when they were having trouble And then he goes on, but at my stumbling, verse 15, they rejoiced and gathered, they gathered together against me, wrenches whom I did not know, tore at me without ceasing, like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on, rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions? I will thank you in the great congregation and the mighty throng, I will praise you. Paul knew how that felt, you see. Here he was, the very people whom he had loved, who had traveled with him, he had poured his life into, he had prayed for, he had helped in every way imaginable, he had suffered for, he had agonized over. And there when he needed them the most, they didn't come. They didn't stand with him. Uh, This expression I just read out of Psalm 35 sounds a lot, doesn't it, like Jesus and his own experience. Judas betrayed him, this one who had walked with him. His disciples, a few of them, couldn't even pray with him an hour in his most desperate need. Peter, this loved apostle, denied that he even knew Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this very sobering sentence. And the sobering sentence is that after Peter denied Jesus for the third time, it says that Jesus looked at. Peter, can you imagine that moment? The scripture said, of course, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Jesus, you see, at his greatest need, his 
dearest friend, one of them, deserted him. And then as the prophet said, Jesus knew this, that when the shepherd would be captured, the sheep would scatter, and they did. And so he knows that. So you can know that Paul knew Jesus empathized with him, knew that Jesus knew what he was going through and could pray and receive help and grace, as the scripture tells us about that. But he says, listen, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. In Paul's graciousness, he says, but may it not be charged against them. That sounds like Jesus too. So how did Paul survive? How did Paul survive this first offense? How did he survive in that place? No friendly faces, no one to encourage him, everybody against him, him having to make this defense. Uh, How would he survive? Notice how he understood it. He understood it as David understood. You might notice in the end of verse 17, it says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, what he saw was that he was in the very mouth of the lion. Now, what did he mean by that? It could have mean that the leaders were there and he referred to them as the lion. Uh, what comes to mind, of course, is Daniel and the lions about to take his life, rescued his life, was saved. What we think about in those days was Christians offered the lions. It was probably unlikely in Paul's case because he was a Roman citizen. So he probably wouldn't be given up to the lions. If they were going to take him, they would behead him. Small consolation. Did you remember how Peter spoke of Satan? He prowls around like a roaring lion wasn't that the case for Paul at this moment he was in the very face of the lion the lion's mouth opened he's going to silence Paul Paul had been called by God to to, to bring the message of the gospel to the nations but if he could kill him if he could be done with him then Paul's ministry would be over and there he is right in the mouth of the lion would he have the courage would he have the strength in order to to share, not a defense of himself, but the gospel in front of all these who were there. The nations were before him. People were right there. Would he be able to make this defense? Now we think, well, of course, it's Paul. We rather romanticize his life as if the stones that they threw at him at various times didn't hurt. Or that he really loved being shouted down by crowds and mobs, run out of town. That he actually liked that, that this was all easy for him. We know his aspirations. He said he was compelled to preach, yes. He said, woe to me if I don't. But this was that same Paul who asked that people would pray for him. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, as he lays out for us how it is that we stand against this lion that prowls around seeking to devour us. He says, we're to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. See, Paul knew that he needed the very help of God to carry this out. And also for me, he says, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, listen, I get it. I understand. Here I am. I'm in this situation. I need your help. I need the very help of God. So pray for me. Pray that I wouldn't turn away. 
We don't have a category in our brain for Paul turning away. But if you ask him, why were you bold in all these situations? He would say, because the Lord strengthened me. He wouldn't say, because it comes natural to me. He wouldn't say, because I have all this natural courage and I can stand in front of anybody. That's why God needs me. (laughs) He would say, no, 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 no. I'm just like you. I need the strength of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you sense that you're utterly alone? (laughs) There is no one there to help you. And yet God was calling you to do something that you knew was completely beyond yourself. In fact, it may be that there, was, there, were, there were encouragers, there were other people around you, but yeah, you looked at the call of God upon yourself and you said, I need to do this, I need to do that, and yet I don't think I can. How will I be able ever to do that kind of thing? Oh, it wasn't the same kind of trial that Paul experienced with his own faith in front of this group of people that were against him in that way, but, but it was a trial of faith. Have you ever been there in that kind of a circumstance, a situation maybe with a parent, a child, an illness, something against you, someone against you, loneliness, a marriage, discouragement, you're facing an unknown future, something, what is it? You know what you've experienced, you know what you're facing. And you think, I know God's calling me to that. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can forgive in that situation. I don't think I can be merciful in that situation. I don't think I can give in that situation. I don't think I can hold my tongue in that situation. I don't know that I can bless and not curse in that particular situation. I don't know that I can risk myself. I don't know I can pray for them in this situation. I don't know. I don't know that I can go there and do that. I don't know that I can speak in that context. I don't know that. In fact, I don't think I can. But there we are. We know it's the very call of God upon us. That's where Paul was. He really was in a circumstance, a situation that's the bleakest, that's the worst that we can ever imagine. Again, because we romanticize his life, we think, oh, this was easy for him. He, he, he says, oh, this is an adventure. This will be fun. No, 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 no. He's a real man facing a desperate situation. Just like we, real people, facing various desperate situations in the context of our lives. And we know what God's calling us to. It's fairly clear. We might not know the details, but we know the direction. We know we're to be godly. We know know how we're to live this out. And we think, I can't do that in this situation. I can't face that particular situation. Well, well, how did Paul Paul do that? Well, notice how he puts it here in 2 Timothy in chapter 4. He says, but... The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Nobody else stood by me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And he strengthened me in such a way that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. What does the lion want in this situation? He wants Paul to back down. He wants Paul to do something that would not glorify God. He He wants Paul not... To fulfill the calling upon his life. And so Paul said, I was rescued by that. Why? Because the Lord stood by me. How do you know that? 
How did he know that the Lord was standing by him? How did he know that he was with him? Well, Paul had some unique experiences uh, where the Lord, Jesus, actually spoke to him, obviously at his conversion, but at other times as well. For instance, when he was in Corinth and things looked very, very bleak, uh, it appeared that no one was going to listen to him. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 18, uh, we read this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Then on another occasion, as Paul was journeying around, in this case, again, he was under arrest. And the Lord said to him, stood by him and said, Acts 23, verse 11, Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul had these kinds of experiences. So So he knew that the Lord was with him because of that. And you might say, I might say, well, that's never happened to me. So how do I know that the Lord is with me? And the answer is, because he promised to be. Now these little glimpses in the life of Paul help us a bit. Because even though I haven't experienced that, Paul experienced that and was written down. Why was it written down? It was written down because God is saying, I don't do this often, (laughs) but here it is. So you know I am here. I was with Paul in these bleak situations. I'll be with you as well. Because the scripture says, I will be with you always. I have this calling upon you to make disciples and to be a disciple. I have this calling upon you to teach others to obey all that Jesus has taught and for you to obey it. I have this calling upon you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll always stand by you. In every situation, I'll be there to strengthen you, to help you. You see, that's always the promise, this promise of strength in the very presence of Jesus. We know it because he promised it. The passage I read out of 1 Peter this morning, you may not have caught it, you may have. Uh, there's this expression that happens a couple of times in that passage that says, though you do not see him. We don't. We don't see him. He says, but you love him. Though you do not see him, you, you trust in him. Why? Because he's trustworthy. Why? But because he said he would be with us. That's why we trust him. That's why we know that he really is with us. In my little cool phone that I have now, I went through, uh, and in the calendar, I put, for every day, all day, God is with you. It's, it's easy to do. I didn't have to, like, you know, it's not like the old days where I had to get Joyce to do it. Uh, I, I could actually do this, you know, put a couple of buttons. But it's there. Every time I look on any day in my calendar, it opens up. It's there, you know, right there with my little deal. And whatever else I have, God is with you. Oh, yes, okay. He beat me to this day. Right? Because he really is with us. How do I know that? Because he promised. And I have glimpses through Paul. The great glimpse, the glimpse I love the most, I think, and that helps me a great deal is with the prophet Elisha. You remember him? Prophet Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. And there was a situation in the life of the prophet Elisha where uh, uh, Syria was coming against Israel. And the king of Syria 
said to his people, well, what's the deal with Israel? And they said, well, the, the person you have to worry about most is this prophet Elisha because he tells the king of Israel what you say in your bedroom. <laughs> and so the, the, the king of Assyria says, we better go take care of this Elisha. So he sends his whole army after him. Well, the servants of Elisha gets up in the morning and he looks out and he sees the army of Syria all around and he gets very scared, but Elisha doesn't. And so Elisha says to God, could you just open his eyes so he can see what's really there? And so the, the, the eyes of the servant of Elisha are opened and he sees horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so Elisha says, let's just go. I've never seen that, but I don't need to because I've been told that in a book that's infallible. It's there. And so Paul stood before these people. And while, yes, he had had these wonderful experiences, at that moment in time, do you understand that those experiences don't always help? Because we can sort of doubt them. But, but there's this word of God. And, and, and so he knows that the Lord is with me. And, and always with the presence of the Lord for his people comes strength. Comes strength. It does. And, and the strength it comes uh, to us. It's known, again, throughout all of the scripture. Uh, David, uh, the shepherd king, knew of this strength. For instance, in First Samuel in chapter 30. Uh, David and, and the boys come home and, there's, and the, 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 the place has been ravaged and their, their children and their wives have been taken and, uh, and they're greatly distressed. This is 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. And we have this. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in his soul, each for his sons and daughters. Could you imagine what that would be like to come home and find that your family has been taken by your enemies? Only imagine what would go through your mind. The next sentence. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? It means that David then began to think about God. And by thinking about God in his presence with him, by thinking about God and all that he knew to be true, whether it was chariots of fire all around or whatever that is. He began to think about God. He says, God is with us. God is with me. God is with my wife and my children. Therefore, I will receive strength. And I suspect that strength was for him to be able to take the next breath. That strength was for him to be able to think uh, clearly. That strength was to enable him to persevere in faith in the midst of that situation. That kind of Strength. The strength comes to us by way of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, within us. For instance, in Ephesians in chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, we read this. Let me begin with verse 14. It's a prayer. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, earth, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer and it's a prayer concerning being strong. It's a prayer concerning strength, the strength that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And you see, this prayer means, uh, Paul means by this prayer that the Spirit of God comes in such a way that it enables us to comprehend. Isn't that an odd combination of words? Strength to comprehend. I would say the smarts to comprehend, the intelligence to comprehend. He says, no, the strength to comprehend. Why? Why does it take strength to comprehend? Because you see, we have to fight all of this unbelief. We have to have the strength to be able to look at life and be informed by what we don't see. See, the servant of Elisha had to look at that situation and have the strength to comprehend (laughs) that God was with him. Because he didn't see it. And so you see, you have to overcome the strength of mind, strength of heart, Strength of conviction, strength of faith, to in a sense overcome what we see. To comprehend what is really true. To comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, height, depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thus, Paul would pray for people, the church for us. Verse 11 of Colossians chapter 1, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you uh, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, you see, to give you strength that you can know this, believe this, live it out, to live it. God is with us and in his being with us. He strengthens us as he strengthened Paul. And he strengthened Paul so that Paul's message could be, uh, could be given. Uh, do you see the providential irony in this situation? This is why no situation is, 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 should be for us utterly bleak. Why? Because God is at work. Paul had called, I'm sorry, God had called Paul to be the apostle to the nations so that... He could preach the gospel to Gentiles, essentially. That was his calling, right? Well, he loved that calling, and he pursued it, and God strengthened him to love it and to pursue it. And now he finds himself in a situation where he's on trial. But notice where he's on trial. He's on trial in Rome. He's on trial in a place where the word gets out about what's going on. A very democratic place, if you will place where people participated, people came and watched, and people came and listened and all of this. So now he is. And so really, the lion thinks he's going to silence him and end his, 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 his ministry and calling. Uh, and yet, here he is at his finest moment. And he speaks the truth of Christ. He's strengthened. Notice how Paul puts it. 
He said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Don't you know that was the thrill of the moment? When he knew that the Lord was with him and he knew the strength of God and he had the boldness to say it and he did. And notice how he puts it that the gospel, the message might be fully proclaimed. I wish we had the recording of that. We don't need it, obviously, or we'd have it. But he said fully proclaimed. He must have told them everything. Now you get the sense that he probably kept being interrupted by people saying, no, Paul, defend yourself here. Tell, tell us why you shouldn't be on trial. Tell you why you shouldn't be arrested. Why you shouldn't be imprisoned and all of that. Why you shouldn't be convicted. Why you shouldn't be put to death. And you get the sense of Paul, just a minute, I want to tell you about Jesus first. You see, because this is really why I'm here. And, and I want to tell you about him. And so he laid it all out. And he says, there I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now realize he knows he's going to die. And so his rescue didn't mean he wasn't going to die. His rescue meant he was able to fulfill his calling at that moment in time. The lion couldn't stop him. Nothing could happen here. He, he, he did it. And he said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, even if that evil deed leads to his own death. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever." And ever, amen. That was true. And it's true for us, you see. That he will rescue us from every evil deed. He will bring us safely into this heavenly kingdom. Paul was writing to Timothy. You remember Timothy was one who was timid. Sickly even, uh, I suppose if we could pick two people to really carry the torch of the gospel, uh, you wonder if we would have chosen either Paul or Timothy. But here they were, chosen by God. And Paul knew he had this deposit, and he was leaving it, if you will, in the hands of Timothy and the church, not just the church in Ephesus, but the church. He was leaving it there. And, and could you think about what he could say at the very end that would solidify all of this. What he could say at the very end, the last things he could say. I don't know if he knew these would be the last words that he would pen for the church to have, whether he thought maybe he could eke out one more before he, he, he died or any of that, but, 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 but here's the, the final expression. He says, the Lord be with your spirit, meaning the Lord stand by you. He says, Timothy, if I want to to take anything here I want you to take this the Lord is with your spirit and when he says with your spirit it's not ooky spooky stuff he means with you as one who's a spiritual person you who's one whose life has been transformed by the very presence of the Holy Spirit you who've been born again by the spirit of God you have been filled with the spirit of God just like every believer the Lord is with you with your spirit you see don't ever forget that Wherever you stand, wherever you go, whatever he calls you to, whatever you face, the Lord is with you. That must never be a trite expression for us. 
that must never be said flippantly nor heard flippantly. That should be our very life. When we greet each other, and we say, the Lord is with you. When we leave each other, and we say, the Lord is with you. That means everything. So Paul said, listen, Timothy, you've got a tough deal. You've got a hard church in Ephesus. Now I'm going to ask you to come to Rome where they might kill you and imprison you. But remember this. The Lord is with you. He will give you strength. And then he said, grace be with you. Now, that's a combination of, of really the theme of what Paul's been dealing with. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse, verse 1, he writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the point, he says. He says, the Lord's with your spirit. Grace be with you. You see, the very grace that brings you to faith, the very grace which brings forgiveness of your sins, the very grace which brings you into the very presence of Jesus and unites you with him, that very grace is with you as well. So understand that he's with you and he's with you by his grace, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because it's his gift to you. And so since it's his initiative, since it's his coming to you, since your sin didn't keep him from coming to you, in fact, it was your sin that brought him to you so that he could forgive you, since It's grace that's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Because if he was going to leave you, he would have never come. But there's nothing that you can do that will chase him away once he's come. So that, you see, is what we must believe. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with me. His grace is with us. His grace is with me. Take that list of everything you can't face. Take that list of everything that scares you. Take that list of everything that you think that's too much of God to ask of me. Overlay that with he is with me and his grace is with me. And that's how we're to live. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that you would, in fact, enable us to take confidence in the facts that you are with us. That all of this is to your glory, that we ascribe glory to you, because of, of course we do, because it's your doing. We confess even now that we're unable, that life is too big for us, that God, the calling that you have upon us to persevere and to be faithful and to, to, to be Christians, followers of Christ in the midst of this world is more than we can bear. And so we ask, that we would know your presence, that you are with us. We ask that because the Lord is with us, that we would know his strength.
strength to persevere, strength to believe, strength to comprehend, strength to overcome any temptation and belief that would drive us away. Strength that would enable us to fulfill all that you call us to. As we lay ourselves before you in this and pray the word the Lord is with your spirit grace be with you would be life to us Father there are various difficulties that we all face some physically that is by way of illness disease some by way of discouragement and depression some by way of situations coming that we see no resolve. Situations where we think we haven't what it takes really to make whatever sacrifice necessary in order to do that which is right. Some it's in relationships, perhaps in, in marriage, and we just simply don't know how how this will continue, how it will be resolved. Some, because of loneliness, wondering will I ever find someone to marry? Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would give us strength with the assurance that the Lord is indeed with us. Help us, God, as a church to realize that because the Lord is with us and gives us strength, that the mission of 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 our church, the mission of the church, the mission of the gospel will not be thwarted. However, we find ourselves, it's never bleak that you're with us and that even perhaps in the darkest moments we'll see the greatest light. Grant to us faith that's mature, that's strong, that knows presence and the strength of Christ. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.